This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. Following 2011, we had hope. We had hope. Matthew Stafford, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, was a 23-year-old hotshot coming off his third year. Dynasty leaguers' eyes were on him completely, completely all over Matt Stafford. 2011, he only fell behind the legend Drew Brees and MVP Aaron Rodgers for touchdowns thrown with 41 touchdowns in his third year. There's only one guy at the time who threw more at a younger age. Yeah, Dan Marino. And I mean, even since then. (laughs) Since then, there's only been one quarterback to pass him up at this point. And of course, you guys probably already know who that is, right? Let's say it all together. Patrick Mahomes. Yes. Either way, Stafford was a god. And along with his trusted wide receiver companion, his sidekick, Calvin Johnson, These two were supposed to take the league by storm. As we waited for his eruption to grace us with massive fantasy outputs, guys all over, all over the fantasy map when it came to analysts and enthusiasts, they couldn't help but sitting there and comparing him to John Elway, Brett Favre, Troy Aitman. And it wasn't even the question of if he will, but rather when is he going to hit that level of production. Yeah, we were stoked, stoked. This was all happening right when fantasy was blowing up, right? Matt Stafford was supposed to be the next great young quarterback to lead fantasy championships, right? God. And as fantasy was growing at the time, new stats were coming out, new analytics were coming out, and we just didn't put enough weight on the newer facts and stats that we should have. We kind of just swept them underneath the rug. And there was one fatal stat for quarterbacks that never should have been swept under the rug, but it was. And that was adjusted yards per attempt, or AY slash A, right? It's more than just yards per attempt. It incorporates big gains with sacks, interceptions, touchdowns, and yards, puts all into one. It's relatively a simple formula, but it still has some depth and complexity to it. And Stafford, even in his amazing season, couldn't get over eight, eight, eight adjusted yards per attempt. Eight's typically that threshold for a great quarterback's lie. And it wasn't just him. It wasn't completely his fault or anything along those lines. The Lions front office just loved to gift him receivers, but they completely neglected to address the offensive line woes. Completely neglected to address them. And then we know with pocket passers, lack of time in the pocket (laughs) That's going to lead to, of course, sacks, quarterback hits, and interceptions. Hits lead to injuries and pains, and that's pretty much what's plagued him throughout his entire career. Force him to do what any person would naturally do, get rid of the ball. So this led to a drop 
in his adjusted yards per attempt. This had him hovering around a 7 for his entire career. That's subpar, subpar at best for a starting quarterback in fantasy football. Now, playing with a fractured tailbone in 2018, Matt Stafford had one of his worst, worst adjusted yards per attempt at 6.2. He struggled to finish in the top percentage of pretty much every single metric. The ones that he did, fourth in interceptable passes, third in dangerous plays, and guess what? His team led the league in drop passes by receivers. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And people were down. They were down on Stafford. In the offseason leading up to 2019, people were saying that he was going to be on his way out. Matt Patricia wanted to reshape his offense, so he brought in a new offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, right? Came from the Seahawks. Bevel actually oversaw Russell Wilson's production. He oversaw. Russell Wilson getting multiple awards, Pro Bowls, Super Bowls. But most impactful to this conversation, adjusted yards per attempt of 7.8 throughout his entire career. In comparison, Matt Stafford has only hit that number one time in his entire career prior to Bevel arriving. That's brutal. So, of course... With the eighth overall pick, the Lions were definitely, definitely a topic of conversation when it came to adding a quarterback to that room, right? There's speculation that the Lions wanted to get Patricia's guy and that Bevel was going to do what he did with Russell Wilson, and it made perfect sense at the time. It really did. The Vikings were in a position to make a jump, right, in the NFC North. The Packers just hired head coach Matt LaFleur and made some major, major offseason signings for free agents. And the Bears were just coming off a 12-4 and season, in which they had seven, seven Pro Bowlers. So if there was any time to rebuild and to take a step back, it was this year. Everyone figured they still could have gotten a first-round pick for Stafford if they ended up selling to a team like the Dolphins. But Patricia, he didn't bite. He stuck with Stafford installed this new offense, and pushed all his chips in the middle of the table. And, well, to an extent, it actually worked. Prior to Matt Stafford's injury, the Lions were 3-4-1, and that offense was humming, man. It was humming, 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 humming. It was humming along. It was putting up 23 or more points in all but one game. That defense just wasn't able to keep up. Matt Stafford was crushing, crushing fantasy teams. He was averaging the fourth most points per game at the quarterback position, and he was an undrafted player in most cases. He was second in the league with adjusted yards per attempt with 8.6 and led the league in adjusted yards per target, which is very, very similar when it comes to adjusted yards per attempt. It just eliminates all the throwaways. He was putting up 9.1. 9.1 adjusted yards per target. Last year alone, it was like a 6, or I'm sorry, 2018 alone, I want to say it was like a 6.8 or 6.2. It was a 6.2. That's crazy. During this time, <laughs> Kenny Galladay was 10th in the NFL in fantasy points per game, while Marvin Jones was 14th. Carryon Johnson, the primary running back, was an RB2, and he barely saw a 70% snap share. His 14 money throws 
ranked him third for money throws per game, which is extremely, extremely helpful considering his supporting cast ranked 22nd in the NFL. That is crazy to me. Matt Stafford was a beast last year. He was the entire offense. After he went down, Kenny Galladay dropped four points per game, shoving him down from the 10th overall wide receiver to back-end wide receiver two, while Marvin Jones, he only saw one game with over 50 receiving yards before he got injured. There was no offense without Stafford being there. He was powering that entire thing. Now, looking back just a few months ago, the whispers, it started again. The Lions are going to go draft a quarterback. Matt Stafford's done. Oh, my God, I'm getting tired of this routine. Because guess what? The second straight year, Patricia put all his chips back in the middle of the table. Right? Him along with general manager Bob Quinn. They went out and they signed former Eagles offensive tackle, Batai, or however you say it. Yeah, I think I said that right. Batai. V-A-I-T-A-I. Then they drafted DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, who is arguably the best pass-blocking running back in this class. Then they drafted Jonah Jackson, a guard out of Ohio State in the third round. Logan Sternberg, a guard out of Kentucky in the fourth round. Might as well just throw in Quintez Cephas on top of this. The wide receiver from Wisconsin. And you have an offense that is centered around Matt Stafford again. Again. For a second straight year, allowing him to surpass his efficiency from last year. It is very possible that it happens. The value of Stafford, Swift, Galladay, Jones, and even Hawkinson is next to nothing right now. And you better believe I'm pushing all my chips to the middle of this table. Oh my God, I am chasing Lions players. You've got Vikings with a brand new secondary. You have the Green Bay Packers who struggled towards the end of the year with their secondary. The Bears were a shadow of themselves. This division is a lot more open than what people realize. And I think that the Lions are (laughs) going to be just as competitive, if not more, than they were last year when they went 3-4-1 prior to Stafford's injury. Welcome on into Fantasy Football Intervention. Get excited for yet another episode, guys. If you want to go show some support for this podcast, go to patreon.com slash fantasy intervention. Go join our circle. It's two bucks a month. That is it. We are about to get this episode rolling, guys. About to get this episode rolling. I've got some fun things in, in store for you guys because I've been looking at the drafts. I've been looking at trade candidates. And then all of a sudden, Dalvin Cook comes on in and says that he's holding out. Dalvin Cook's holding out, baby. We got another Zeke situation. Le'Veon Bell situation. Are you going to draft him? Are you not going to draft him? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How far is Dalvin Cook going to fall? Because honestly, the Minnesota Vikings don't have the funds. And these guys are phenomenal. We're going to talk about it in a second. These guys are phenomenal. Working the salary cap around. But they don't have the money to do that right now. They cannot go out and pay Dalvin Cook. But yet, this whole entire offense is built around Dalvin Cook. So you can't pay your best player, which you built the offense around. At least with the Titans, when they pay Derrick Henry, or they tag Derrick Henry, they have a little bit better situation where if they want to keep Derrick Henry, they can. It's going to be tough, but they can still do it. The Vikings, I don't know if that's possible. 
Listen, let me lay out the situation for you really quick as a whole for what's going to happen in 2021, and then we'll go back to Dalvin Cook. In the free agent market for 2021, there are going to be 14 bell cow backs from their team in 2019 that are going to be free agents in 2021 if they don't get a deal worked out. 13 players, 13 running backs had significant work in a timeshare as a running back that are going to be free agents in 2021. Eight players in 2019 that saw multiple starts or playing time because of injuries and stood out are going to be free agents in 2021. That's crazy to me. You are talking about 35 running backs. 35 running backs that are going to be available in the 2021 free agency. Now, to take that and couple it with the fact that they're talking about a serious, serious decrease in cap space because lack of revenue. Whew, that's brutal. Then you have the draft class for 2021 is looking extremely, extremely deep at the running back position. On top of that, running backs and defensive tackles are as a whole. Dude, these are guys that you just run out there, get them as many snaps as possible or they're on the rookie contracts. And then just throw them in the trash. Their AJ Pex ends at 24 and a half or 25 years old. Their, produ- their production, the average production for a running back decreases after they hit 25. There needs to be something done with the CBA. And I said this back last year. They need to fix this running back situation because running backs are getting used, abused, and thrown away. It's ridiculous. And I don't blame Dalvin Cook for holding out. But if he does hold out, what is he holding out for? Because I don't know if Minnesota can pay him. Is it going to be another Le'Veon Bell situation? It is very, very possible. I mean, Le'Veon Bell got paid when he came back and played for the Jets. Why would Dalvin Cook, who has been injured in the past, want to risk that? And I get that, baby. I get that. Get it. But the Vikings might be screwed. Because when salary cap managers sit down, and they give out contracts. They weigh the other players on their team. They make sure their rosters fit together like a puzzle. And they make sure that the timing syncs up, especially when they're expecting an increase in revenue. Some teams don't leave themselves much wiggle room. They really don't. They might leave a million, two million. They might even be negative in cap space because they're so good at manipulating the system that they're able to keep certain players as close to the line as possible without actually going over. There was one player here recently, and I'm trying to remember who that was, who I want to say it was Derrick Henry, actually, speaking of. But after or before restructuring his contract or after restructuring his contract, he was within like $300. The team was within $300 of this salary cap space. That is crazy to me. Listen, the Vikings are some of the best, the best in the biz at developing great rosters. I mean, probably one of the best I've ever seen. Rick Spielman and Rob Brzezinski. Hope I said that right. Dude, they're tag team in the roster and the salary cap. Like it's a Saturday night at a frat house. They are Eiffel towering the shit out of that. But it could end up coming back to bite them in the ass because there might not be an increase in the salary cap like they expected there to be. And that could completely destroy the chance of Dalvin Cook ending up back with the Vikings. They currently are negative in the cap. 
And Dalvin Cook, dude, he deserves a reasonable extension. He really does. With the $10 million increase in cap, they could have made this happen. But now that they're doubting that that's going to happen, I don't see how they can resign him while still retaining half these players on the roster. Even if they end up cutting players. They pretty much cut the majority of players that they could while still saving money this past offseason because they were so close to the cap. They could end up cutting off Anthony Harris, not resigning Anthony Harris, and that could create some space, but that's going to be space that's available in 2021, not in 2020. I do believe they are genuinely handcuffed in this situation, and I don't know if they can do anything. I really don't. So if I had to put money on Dalvin Cook ending up back with the Vikings in 2021, my money is going to be on no. It's going to be on no. So that made me want to look at some of the other running back positional changes that could be happening since people are doing dynasty startups currently and they have to keep an eye out for potential team changes before they end up getting screwed. So just to refresh, there's 14 bell cow backs that are going to be available in 2021 that were bell bell cows for their team in 2019. There are 13 players in 2019 that had significant work in a timeshare who are going to be free agents in 2021. There are eight players that saw multiple starts or playing time because of injuries in 2019 that are going to be free agents in 2021. That's 35 running backs. 35. That's insane. So let's go ahead and hit this and cover some of those guys. Let's break it down for you guys. Break it down. Break it, break it down. I'm going to break it down for you guys. I'm going to go through quite a few of them. So I'm not going to spend too much time talking about each individual situation, but I at least going to make it clear, clear to you guys who I believe is going to end up back with their old team or if I think they're going to be looking for a new job coming up for 2021. And I've already covered Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams a million times. If you guys listen to the podcast, you know, so just really, really quick, I think that Aaron Jones is going to outprice the market, very similar to what Jadavion Clowney is doing currently. And I definitely, definitely don't think that he's going to end up back in Green Bay where he really doesn't even fit the system that they're running there. Jamal Williams might return, but it would be for a reduced role because I do think that Dexter Williams is going to step up and demand some sort of small workload behind A.J. Dillon. If you want to hear a detailed version of that, go to my last episode or join Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fantasy Intervention. Derrick Henry's another guy I'm not going to spend much time on because like I said, I already talk about him just like I talk about Aaron Jones. It was something that I've covered over the past week or two just because their systems are so similar. Obviously, you have LeFleur coming from Tennessee, so he's using the same system that he was using there. Anyways, um, I think that Derrick Henry, I said um. Whoa, I said um. Did you guys hear that? Crazy. I never say um. God, can't believe it. It's squirted out. Squeezed out of my vocab, squirted everywhere. Oh man. Now, but Derrick Henry, back to Derrick Henry again and not squirting. Listen, I think that Derrick Henry has a great chance to end up back in Tennessee as long as he can stay healthy and he reduces his demands for what they're asking contract wise. If he can do another one year prove it deal, and I think that he would considering the whole issue with the cap, I think it's very, very possible that he goes back the following year or he signs a three, four year contract. But he has to reduce his demands. And we already saw that they brought in Darrington Evans to, of course, give him a little bit of support. 
give him a little bit of backup. And if Darrington Evans works in this offense, it's actually a good thing because it could reduce the workload for Derrick Henry, which would mean that he would have to ask for less money. He would be forced to ask for less because he didn't take on the amount of workload that he had this past year. So I'm hoping that does happen because I love the Derrick Henry fit in Tennessee. However, the Titans don't have a lot of space. So it is very, very possible that he goes somewhere else. The question is, is which team would be willing to pay him? And I just couldn't find very many teams that would be willing to take on his massive contract. So my money would be on Derrick Henry going back to Tennessee in 2021. Now, Leonard Fournette, he's in an interesting situation, right? Jay Gruden is coming in as the new offensive coordinator. That's a positive thing, right? Considering the way that Jay Gruden likes to use his running backs, plus the Jags, they got plenty of cap space. Plenty of it, considering they're trying to do like an expedited version of what the Dolphins did last year when it comes to rebuilding, you know, selling off veteran contracts and rebuilding through the draft. The issue is we don't know what's going to happen with the coaching staff. Is Doug Marone still going to be around in 2021? Are they going to let him stay for that rebuild? And we saw Leonard Fournette burn through some bridges in Jacksonville. And also, he had issues staying healthy. He really did. So my bet is that if the coaching staff changes, Fournette would actually have a better chance at staying in Jacksonville than he would if the same coaching staff remains in place. I know that's a little bit hard to grasp. But I just don't know if he has the solid guys in his spot ready to go. Now. The whole thing would debunk this if he has a, you know, unworldly 2020 and Jay Gruden can get the most out of him. Like, that's Jay Gruden's dude, man. Like, Jay Gruden uses him the right way, and he just has an a unworldly 2020. But my educated guess is that he has more of a solid season. And once again, just like Aaron Jones, he kind of outprices the market. And Jacksonville decides to go in a different direction, right? Find a guy that they would like more and would be a little bit cheaper. Somebody like Kareem Hunt would be a perfect, perfect example of somebody that would fit seamlessly into this system. Kareem Hunt, Jacksonville Jaguars, 2021. Not Leonard Fournette. Because I don't think that Kareem Hunt has any chance at staying in Cleveland. They have too many big-time contracts on the books, and they still need to work on their offensive line. Oh, terribly work on their offensive line. They need to address that situation. So my guess is that Kareem Hunt is going to demand low-end starter money, which is not going to be feasible for Cleveland to obtain his services for 2021. So he's going to go and walk to a team that does need a running back and has the salary cap space in order to address that, potentially adding another guy behind him as well. Kareem Hunt is going to be a sexy, sexy option for a lot of different teams coming up in 2021. And if I'm a Kareem Hunt owner, I am keeping him on my roster. If I'm a Kareem Hunt not owner, <laughs> I am going and buying him. If I don't have Kareem Hunt, I am buying this shit out of Kareem Hunt. Switching over to Arizona, though. That's an interesting situation with, with Kenyon Drake, right? I mean, he's up one week, he's down the next. I mean, his inconsistencies have scared me since day one. So I'm not a big Kenyon Drake truther or enthusiast. I'm, I'm not a fan of Kenyon Drake necessarily. But he's still interesting. Because if he can stay consistent with Arizona, they could end up moving him into the upper echelon of paid running backs. They have some salary cap space that they can work with. They can sign him to a long-term contract if he works out. But he's, what, 27 years old, I believe? And his essential trademark is inconsistency. 
You never knew what week you can use him because some weeks he'd boom, some weeks he'd bust. And a lot of that had to do with Adam Gase, of course, but I mean, we still saw it here in Cliff Kingsbury's system in Arizona this past year, where there were just certain weeks that he just didn't do anything. And then other weeks where what? He had four touchdowns in one game? I think it was, he had four touchdowns in one game. That's crazy. So I'm not going to be trusting his fantasy output. I don't think that he's going to be consistent week in and week out. And the Arizona Cardinals have money to spend. They can go out and get a high-profile running back, especially because there's going to be so many on the market. There's going to be one running back that's going to be willing to decrease his price for an opportunity in Arizona on an offense that's flowing along with an offensive line that should improve. With $60 million in cap space for 2021, they could offer a one-year contract. They could offer a five-year contract to any one of these running backs that could fall to them. Could you imagine Dalvin Cook here? Could you imagine Alvin Kamara here? Oh, sexy. Alvin Kamara in Arizona. Who do you think the Cardinals would rather pay? Kenyon Drake or Alvin Kamara? Is Kenyon Drake really going to decrease his asking price that much less than Alvin Kamara? No, I think they're going to be relatively close price within a couple million dollars. I think that Arizona is going to move on and go after a high-profile running back in 2021. But speaking of Alvin Kamara, Alvin Kamara! Poor dude, man. This poor guy is making less than a million a year. A million. That's it. He's not making shit. That's sad. Meanwhile, the Saints, they're projected to have negative 36 million in available cap space. Negative 36 million. What? Are you kidding me? How does this even happen? How? Oh, I guess that's what happens when you pay your backup quarterback 11 million. I mean, just throwing money around like it's nothing. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm intrigued on how they're going to operate in 2021. Like, it's going to be something that I'm going to be watching very, very closely. What I do know is that Alvin Kamara won't be a part of their plans in 2021. There's no way. I don't see any way, shape, or form it it could happen. They have 11 guys making double digits in the millions. In the millions. In 2021. That's crazy to me. And, whew, Alvin Kamara, he's going to want his payday. I think he's going to move on. Todd Gurley passed his physical, right? That's great news. We got that today. Todd Gurley passed his physical. It's for a guy that should have all the work to himself in Atlanta, right? Not Edo Smith. Put Edo Smith on the shelf. Throw him on the pine. Get him on the bench, coach. I need Todd Gurley to be there. Listen, the Falcons have struggled punching it in the, into the red zone or into the end zone from the red zone this past year. That's something that Gurley thrives with. He thrives at He just has the nose for the end zone. He gets the ball in the end zone. He crosses the pylons. That's what Gurley does. The question is, can Gurley stay healthy? And I know we've had a rough patch with his knees. But last year, they really didn't overutilize him. So we have a year of light utilization, along with an offseason full of rest. And if he can stay healthy this upcoming year, I think we could see a two- to three-year extension in Atlanta given to Gurley. I think the girlie could see two to three year extension. I love it. This fit is perfect for both sides. You have a gunslinging quarterback. You got some wide receiver targets that know how to get open. And you have girlie who dominates. Dominates when the box isn't stacked. This offensive line should be significantly better. And I love girlie with the Atlanta Falcons this upcoming season. 
Listen, if you have Gurley, hold on to him. I don't even care if you're rebuilding. Hold on to him. You are more than likely going to see an increase in value since he's impossible to trade currently. But then on top of that, if he stays healthy and he has an RB1 season, which is in his possible outcomes, it's in the realm of possibilities, you can most likely flip him to a contender for a late first round pick, especially if you're in season. That's a no-brainer. Now, if he sucks and flames out, then you still aren't losing much because you can't trade him anyways. I know, I have Todd Gurley and I cannot get rid of him in any league. Any dynasty league, I cannot get rid of him. But I'm going to hold on to him. I'm not going to take that late second round offer. I'm going to see if he can produce at a high end level and sell him to a contender that needs one more guy to make that championship run. Now, talk about a guy whose value is shooting through the roof. Joe Mixon, baby. Joe Mixon with a new QB who targets his running backs, improved offensive line, improved defense. Oh, man, that can mean me better game scripts. God, it's a tough division. It really is. But that could mean that they like to protect the rookie quarterback and run the ball more. Every time I turn the corner to try and make an argument against Joe Mixon, it ends up helping his case. Listen, I've never, never been a Mixon fan. Never. But I'm hopping on, baby. I'm hopping on board. I think that 2020 is his year. I think this, this is where he elevates himself up to that top echelon of, of running backs and into that borderline tier one category. I love Joe Mixon. The Bengals also have $84 million in cap space without any significant free agents outside of A.J. Green. Listen, we could see them go after more offensive linemen in 2021 while locking Joe Mixon into a long-term deal for three, four, five years. Front load those contracts, baby. Make it so you can get out in year four or year five. That way you still have Joe Burrow under contract and you can go get a young rookie running back to come in and go win a Super Bowl with. Listen, there are very, very few teams that do the correct thing year to year. They overpay players, especially running backs, but this isn't that case. They need a veteran running back that knows how to pass protect because this offensive line is not ready yet. Meanwhile, you're allowing yourself to pay him over a three-year period top-end running back money. Top-tier running back money. This will make him happy, make the locker room happy, and then right when you're about to make your run in year three, year four, year five of Joe Burrow's career, Boom! You cut Joe Mixon and you move on and you go draft a rookie running back. I love it. I think this core is going to remain intact for a very long time. And we'll finally have Joe Mixon with a great supporting cast. Joe Mixon is rising through the roofs. And if you don't grab him, if you don't grab him now, he's going to be unattainable. He will be unattainable after week four, week five of the NFL season. Now, there are four guys here in this category that I wanted to lump together. All right, they're in very interesting situations. Actually, we'll make it, we'll make it five, five guys. They're in very interesting situations, uh, almost similar to Raheem Mostert. Like I saw this happening back towards the tail end of 2017 and ran to the waivers before the season ended. It's guys that are getting written off because of their current situations instead of looking at potential landing spots for, for the future years to come. And <laughs> these guys, these teams, could look at these guys, especially when they are strapped for cash, and think it could be an alternative starter for what their situation currently is. We saw the Chiefs do this with Damian Williams. 
the Saints could be in that position to do it in 2021. Well, that's if they don't draft a guy. Those running backs are James Conner, Dare Ungumbawale, Marlon Mack, Mike Boone, and Philip Lindsay. Listen, Lindsay and Mack are in great spots because they might outprice themselves as timeshare backs in the free agency. Yet, they are the cheapest potential bell cows that are going to be out there. Teams like the Texans or the Steelers, well, the Steelers pending McFarland's development, of course, but they could be looking for cheaper options or cheaper alternatives to that bell cow back. I love those two guys to teams in that situation. Love it. Meanwhile, you have a team like the Eagles, for example. They're just looking for a guy on a one-year prove-it deal that would be team-friendly for a, I guess, goal-line-esque back or replacement for Miles Sanders, insurance for Miles Sanders, just in case he gets hurt. Right? They're talking Carlos Hyde. I believe they talked to Devonta Freeman. But I'm looking at James Conner being the potential guy there that could go in for one year on a prove-it deal to prove that he can stay healthy pending what happens with the Steelers in 2020. James Conner with the Eagles would be sexy. Sexy. You're getting the goal line back. You're getting the potential first and second down back. Meanwhile, Miles Sanders, they keep the tread off the tires with him, and they do timeshare. I don't see very many ways that Miles Sanders gets out of his situation while being a bell cow back. I really don't. I'm, I'm still like Miles Sanders, but I guess I'm just being pessimistic at this point with Miles Sanders and the Eagles because they typically use timeshare running back committees, RBBCs. Now, I prefer that Mike Boone stay with the Vikings. I wish that he would stay with the Vikings, form a one-two punch with Madison. That's what I wish would happen. But there is still some chance in some alternate universe where the Vikings actually do get a contract worked out with Cook. If that happens, I want Mike Boone to go somewhere else. You know, the Steelers make sense. If the Steelers move on from Connor. And then you have the Texans. The Texans would be a sexy fit, man. I'm telling you. If he can even get a shot at earning a starting role in that offense, whew. David Johnson is not going to be around. Give me a break on David Johnson. And Duke Johnson, obviously, they've shown that they don't trust Duke Johnson as the bell cow back. So Mike Boone coming in to take over the same role that Carlos High played this previous year, that's fire. Mike Boone is sitting on the free agent wire. He's a free agent in probably 99% of the leagues out there. You're picking this guy up to play the Carlos High role. I love it. You can play him in the flex, play him on bye weeks. And he's free. He's free for you. Go get him. But here's the deal. If Bill O'Brien wants to go chase a name brand guy, because that's typically what he does, and he goes after, let's just say Hunt, since he's been courting Hunt since Hunt was coming out of high school. He's been watching like an old creepy dude. I don't know. I don't know. I think that Boone could also fit in with the aforementioned Eagles. Be guy there. And if they can stick with running the ball, then Boone would be fantasy relevant still. Either way, I think that Boone is worth a shot. A shot when he's just sitting out there on your waiver wires. We'll see what happens with the Eagles because of course, of course, they added all these wide receivers to an already stacked wide receiver deck. Whatever. I mean, they all get injured anyways. and I'm not on that train. I'll just say that I'm not on that train. I think that the Eagles are going to continue to run the ball. But I think that Mike Boone has a potential shot at multiple teams Multiple teams, and I think that he can earn a starting role for at least half the teams in the NFL. Now, my favorite fit out of this whole entire group 
would be Dari Ungumbawale going to the Saints. I love it. Absolutely love it. I can't think of too many better fits for anybody to go in and play the Alvin Kamara role that's extremely, extremely cheap. Let Latavius Murray handle those early touches, those early down works. Meanwhile, Dari comes in to play that Alvin Kamara role and just catches passes on passes on passes. That's what he was doing for Tampa Bay this past season, and yet he was still great in the red zone too. Now, I'm not a huge fan of his workout metrics. I'm really not. But still, if you look at Alvin Kamara, 5'10", 213 pounds, while Ungumbawale was 5'11", 213 pounds, and then go watch the film, I think that it works. I really do. Now, Ungumbawale is nowhere close to the athlete that Kamara is. So I'm not saying that. It's not even, they're not even on the same map. But if the Saints choose to draft other positions because they need to make cuts, look for Ungumbawale to sign with the Saints. And I love that fit. Now, like we talked about the Saints, they got negative $36 million in, in cap space. Even while the Eagles have negative $52 million, it's still not that bad because they can cut guys like Alshon Jeffrey, save $8 million. Deshaun Jackson, save $5 million. There are multiple guys on this list. Zach Ertz was another one. They already drafted positions at some point in the recent history that are ready to replace these guys ready to replace them in 2021. We have Goddard at the tight end position. Obviously, we have all the wide receivers that we just brought up, right? They're waiting in the wing. They're ready to go. Ready to go, baby. The Saints, although they did snag up a center and everybody was asking about it, it made sense because they can move on from Nick Eason if that, that center ends up working out. So they did fine without Emmanuel Sanders the previous year. They can cut him. And Janoris Jenkins is another guy they can cut. But outside of that, it doesn't get pretty. The Saints cut candidates in order to get under the cap for 2021. It's looking like Armstead, their left tackle. <laughs> yeah, you want to cut your, your star left tackle? What about Ryan Ramchek, the right tackle? What about Marshawn Lattimore, the standout corner? Everybody else that they can cut, they're only going to save one to two million. That's it. They've already restructured half of their team's contracts. I think a player like Ungumbawale is an ideal fit because he could sign for what, a two year period for. $3 million? They need to stay cheap. There is no way, no way that they're going to be able to alter their contracts around to be able to spend money on the running back position. And I think that Ungumbawale is ideal, ideal for what they're trying to do here. And if I were you, I wouldn't wait too long. Let me just tell you that. Because I really believe that Ungumbawale's 2020 season is actually going to be pretty damn good. He might not be a superstar. He might not break the bank in the free agency for 2021, but he knows the system. He's solid in pass protection. He was solid in the red zone. He can catch the ball. He knows what he's doing back there, and he could garner a role on a Tampa Bay offense. It would be one of the best offenses in the league. Yeah, go grab Ungabawale before it's too late. Just go grab him. Listen, I want to thank you guys for listening. You guys can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fantasy intervention. You can find us on Twitter at FF underscore intervention. Yeah, go follow us on Twitter. I got like 40 followers now. I'm so stoked, right? Building it up. Hey, I've only been using it for like 10 days on a consistent basis. So getting like 40 followers in like 10 days. That's pretty solid. Pretty solid. Huge shout out to fantasy football discussion. Love you guys. Keep those questions coming. And of course, if you want to listen to us on any other platform, we're available on Google Play, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, and CastBox. Just go search 
fantasy intervention. Press enter and it should come up. Listen, thank you guys for listening and thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life. I'm out. Hey, my dope, my niggas is dope. Switch up a stove, pick up a stove. They feeling away, they know I'm the That's how you bang a podcast.